It has been far, far too long since we have had a third voice on this show. And despite the fact that today we are actually down one host, Sam is not going to be with us today. We do technically have a third voice as it is not the same two voices that you guys are all used to hearing. But if you are someone who has frequented this show, then you will recognize who we have on today filling in for Sam. And we couldn't have picked a better person to do it, especially since we're going to be talking pretty much wall-to-wall NBA, our good buddy, Josh Carson. Josh, dude, I am so glad to have you here. Dude, I am grateful to be here. And you know what I just got to say to everybody out there? Sam Toomey, these are some legendary shoes to fill. And if I can be half of the co-host that he is, then hey. I will have deemed this a success. So thanks for having me on. Hey, don't sell yourself short. I mean, Sam and I have both been keeping up with your, uh, with your videos up on YouTube. And I, I gotta say one of, we mentioned it on the show a little while ago. Um, we were both a little bit frustrated that the Kings haven't, uh, made Mm -hmm. that many appearances this season. I, I was, I was told instructed to kind of hold your feet to the fire a little bit to this, but where's, where's the Sacramento Kings love? I saw the De'Aaron Fox video the other day, but um, yes. So, so I don't know if I was ever able to communicate it to you guys, but a couple other people that I know, uh, a couple other friends, they, they talked to me at the beginning of the season (laughs) and they said, Hey, you know, once the Kings started winning in uh, about November, they said, Hey, when's, when's the Kings video is going to start popping up on the channel. <laughs> and I told them, I told them this, I said, if we get to the all-star break, we get uh, past the all-star break and they're still legit in the running for playoffs. And I will make a video on the team. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, my, you know, my channel is not, uh, you know, one team specific. It's, mm. it's national and a lot of it is player focused. And so that's why that one ended up focusing on Fox a little bit more. Um, but, you know, they're playing excellent and, you know, you got to give credit where it's due. And I'm sure we'll get into talking standings and stuff like that. But they have a real legitimate shot to finish even as the number two seed in the West. So. Uh, incredible year for them and what they've been able to put together for sure. Absolutely. Um, for those of you who may, I mean, if you listen to this show, you know, Josh, you know, his YouTube channel, but uh, if you don't, um, if you don't know or are familiar with it, uh, Josh, I'd give you the floor for like a 30 or 60 second little breakdown of your, of your YouTube channel for those people who might be interested in checking it out. Yeah, for sure. Quick little plug, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's YouTube. It's uh, it channels Josh Carson JC three. I've been running it since uh, well since Jason has has known me in middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, started out with video games. Now we're talking real life basketball. I've been doing that for a number of years now, and uh, just covered topics all around the NBA. Whatever's interesting, um, you know, whatever may be trending at the moment, but always looking for a different angle than than the uh, big media companies. I know I'm not competing with an ESPN. I'm not competing with the breaking news company. So I like to dive a little bit deeper. Um, that's the slogan over there for, for uh, my channel. And the segment is called Topic Tackle because we tackle every single topic in the basketball world in a deep way. So that's what the channel is about. And if you guys are looking, I mean, he, his videos really do go in depth and they're not, uh, I mean, they're, they've, they've gotten a lot more traction over the past couple of years. I mean, I'm looking at your um your page right now and i just clicked on the popular ones i mean 
Josh has got five videos that have over a million views. He's got a couple that are over 500,000 and hit that topic tackle segment really kind of took off. Um, and yeah, the, the videos are awesome. So if you guys want good uh, NBA, a good NBA YouTube channel, then uh, definitely, definitely check it out. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for shouting that out. Of course. Um, all right. So let's, Let's start broad a little bit because I've got a bunch of questions for you since you're here, and then we'll maybe move a little bit more into the narrow. Um, the first question that I would have for you right now is just going to be a direct comparison between the Eastern and Western Conference. Um, which right now do you think is the stronger conference? And the reason why I ask is because I think both conferences are sort of, at this point, have a little bit of a different makeup. Like the Western Conference – kind of feels wide open. The Eastern Conference feels more top-heavy, but in totality, which conference do you think right now is uh, is the strongest? Well, you know, that's a good question, and it'd be harder to answer before about a month ago um, because I'd say that for the longest time, you know, there was talks about uh, you know, combining, making it a, a playoffs between both conferences, maybe even getting rid of conferences because the West was so overpowered for a long time there. But as we saw players start to go to the East um, with the James Harden, with Kyrie, with KD, uh, the emergence of Giannis and, and just you even have like a team like Miami that doesn't get mentioned enough. And there's a lot of really solid teams over there. I'm sure I left somebody out Boston, of course, obviously with the emergence of their young guys in Cleveland with Donovan Mitchell. So there was more and more of an exodus of some of these players, whether it was free agency or trades to the East. And so I feel like at the beginning of this year, there was a pretty fair balance of power uh, between both conferences. Um, but now I think, you look at once you got to the trade deadline and obviously the, the big names that were moved uh, were Kyrie and KD. And it's crazy how much power uh, it can shift just based on two players. And so really with those two guys going over to teams that initially uh, we were kind of starting to write off a little bit. I mean, Dallas, um, I just didn't think that they had enough firepower around Luka. Uh, considering the the run I mean there was a week stretch in December I remember I covered Luca and uh, I, I was just looking at it and saying he's putting up incredible numbers I think he had a week where he didn't even post below 40 points he had a 50 point game he had a 60 point game uh, but it took that to beat uh, Houston it took that everything out of him mm -hmm. to, to beat teams like that and so um, you know I just didn't think Um, you know, Phoenix Suns were starting to trail off as well a little bit, uh, considering their age uh, for, for Chris Paul. And then uh, Booker had a longstanding injury. And, um, you know, just a month or month, month and a half ago, they looked like they were starting to fade a little bit. So both of those teams with the addition for Kyrie to Dallas and, and KD to Phoenix has really, um, you know, given them a legitimate shot to be a contender. Um I know the Dallas is still working out some kinks at the moment, but I mean, I, you can't count them out now considering uh, those two main uh, headliners on their team. So I think with that, uh, I'd give the edge to the West. I agree with you when you say the East is top heavy mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Um, the main difference though, to kind of sum all this up is that if you look at the East, like you say, it's top heavy. I think those top three teams with, with all due respect to, to Cleveland and the New York Knicks, I just don't think they're there yet um, at the point 
to compete for a title this year. Uh, it's going to be Philly, Boston, or Milwaukee. Um, but you look at the uh, the West in totality, I mean, even at this point, with the Clippers' loss last night and, and being 500 now, the, the, the Clippers are your eight seed. That's a team that yeah. can compete for a championship should everything click. Uh, but if you look at the East, it, it drops off right about that number five spot. I mean, again, respect to the Nets, what, what they have a more of a young core there now. Uh, Miami, the Hawks, those are those are six through eight in the West. It's Dallas who can be a contender. I don't think Minnesota can be, but the Clippers at eight could. Mm-hmm. So you have, and then the Warriors are sitting at five, and they're really a question mark all season. Uh, the records records wise, though, nobody. I mean, this is going to be a very rare year because I don't think it's very possible that that no team can get to sixty wins. Um, so uh, there's no question that there's parity in the league. Um, I just think from from top to bottom, you have more teams in the West. I, I'd I'd argue maybe five, maybe even six teams in the West that could make it out, as opposed to the East. So I'd say their their conference is more uh, overpowered. I guess you could say. Yeah, and I, so like looking at the Eastern Conference, the Bucks, the Celtics, the 76ers, I think all three of those teams are better than the two and three team in the Western Conference right now, which is the Grizzlies and the Kings. I think the Nuggets, um, you obviously, I mean, who knows? I, they could beat the Bucks, They could beat the Celtics. They could beat the 76ers. But the top three in the East do feel stronger than the top three in the West. But you're right. Like, once you get past – I mean, I, I would argue that the Cavaliers are better than the Knicks. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Like, that, that bottom half – uh, really does feel different in the East when you're talking about the Knicks, the Nets, I mean the Nets, the Heat, and the Hawks compared to the Warriors, the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, and the Clippers. Yeah. So. Right. And well, I'll add one other thing. It's interesting because you really can't base anything on records um, this year overall records of the team because of the obviously the well for Phoenix, right? They're they're a perfect example. Like yeah. take the change in their um and take the change in their lineup just recently are they a 35 and 29 team if you have those those three guys there all year playing for the most part and like no way they, they may even be you know 55 60 win team so the, the the thing is i think it's unfortunate for teams like well memphis has their own issues right now but <laughs> yeah. memphis and in Sacramento because they're going to end up with one of these teams that like should not be a six seed or should not be a seven seed, but they're, they're there because they've dealt with injuries or they're just, they're just getting their guys back where they made a big trade. So that's, that's the thing. So you may look at and say, Hey, the East, those top three teams may be better than the top three teams in the West, but are those really the top three teams in the West when you consider rosters, I'd argue, hey, and that's not a knock against Sacramento. I'd right. argue Sacramento is. Sacramento definitely is. Uh, but, I mean, Memphis is at this point, like they're the team that would, could be replaced by a Phoenix or even if a Golden State was healthy. So, you know, it's it's interesting. Like uh, we went from the league when, when we were in high school years ago where it's like there's no parity. That was the complaint. And now it's like, any, I mean, there could be five or six or seven teams that could win this year. So I think it makes it more interesting overall. So you had mentioned the Suns, and let me just get your quick thoughts on that whole that whole trade. Um, do you think – I mean, because there's only like 20 games left, if that, and it may be less than 20 games now. Do you think 
that the Suns are going to be able to put it together in that short of amount of time and make a run to the NBA Finals. Because if if there is a time that the Suns could be considered their weakest, you would think it would be at the beginning of this sort of, you know, conglomerate of, of these players. So yep. if if they get deeper and they obviously start – like if they get past that first round, okay, then then that Suns team is going to obviously be different than – um, that first round Suns team. Do you think that they are going to have the time to put together a run, or do you think it's we're really going to see it next year? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question again, and that's something I have thought about um, when everybody wanted to proclaim them the favorites right away. I think I, I might I may have made a mistake in in saying this because uh, I said it in a video, but I actually at the time I said I think the Clippers are more favorites than them, but they've gone zero and four since the All Star break, right. so I don't really know what's going on with them. Even though Kawhi's been playing pretty great, so uh, man, that's a question mark. But back to Phoenix, um, you know the interesting thing about that is that they gave up a lot of depth, obviously, to get Durant, and it was definitely a move to to win now. Um, you don't make that trade. You don't get a, the new ownership that they got and make that trade if you're not going for a championship as soon as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So that's obviously their goal. They realize the age of Chris Paul, and Chris Paul's contract next year is not even fully guaranteed. So, you know, it's possible. It's possible that this could be his uh, his last year. You know, there's there's rumors that potentially Kyrie joins Phoenix next year if Dallas – you know, doesn't sign. There's a lot of stuff that's out there. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. But considering this year with what they have, I think they have a legitimate shot. And I'll say, and, and I, I believe that because of this, you know, Chris Paul and uh, KD played together 2012 in the Olympics. They have experience winning at the highest level together internationally. And the same can be said with, uh, with KD and Booker in 2020, the, the Olympics that were played in 2021 in Tokyo. So those guys have experience playing together at the highest level internationally, winning a gold medal. Um, all of those guys have finals experience. Mm-hmm. Durant uh, was a part of a Golden State team that, again, they were, they were uh, in 2017. They went 16-1 and one in those playoffs, and they were better than pretty much everyone by a, by a long shot. But a lot of people question with that, too. You know, regardless of how good that team was, would they need more than a year to gel? Because we saw that with the Miami Heat in 2011 with LeBron and yeah. Jaden Bosch. They, they didn't win the first year. So now you're asking, okay, can you expedite that process even more to a trade deadline deal? But the thing with KD is that you stick KD on any team, that, that dude can play in any system. He could play in any – put him on any pickup game anywhere around the world – you're not going to need much time to integrate him into the system. So in terms of chemistry, if, if, if that is a main thing, I really don't foresee that being an issue for them. And they have Aiton inside too, if he can hold it down and, and play big minutes, do what they need him to do, um, you know, boards and all that stuff. So I really think they do have a shot. And these guys, like, these guys are veterans. You know, they, they've seemed to mesh together pretty well so far. But again, all of it's tested. All of it's tested when uh, you get in the playoffs. And, and I think for them, honestly, this is going to be the problem for them. If they're playing uh, a Memphis, I'm sorry to even a Sacramento, I mean, that would be a good series, but mm-hmm. even, even a Sacramento, a, even a Dallas, you know, Minnesota, there's no problem. Now, the potential problem that I see with them 
is if the standings hold true to how they are now, four and five, they'd play the Warriors. Now, I'm not betting against the Warriors. I don't care what their health looks like because right. those guys are seasoned. They're the, you don't bet against the champs, right? And they're seasoned and they know how to play against each other and they know how to hold firm through adversity in the playoffs together. I think that's the biggest going to be the biggest test uh, for a team like Phoenix. But if you stack them up against really any other team, with the exception of, of potentially Denver, I think they have just as good a shot as, as anyone else to make the West Finals at least and maybe even the Finals. Yeah, so you keep talking about um, matchups, and that was – so. and I, the only reason why I'm going to segue into this was because this was a conversation that Sam and I had I think last week when we were talking about the Kings. So I was going to hold off on the Kings question for a while, but you you brought up matchups. So um, I I had titled the, um, you know, in the last video, it was like the one number that Kings fans need to know about. And to me, because when, when the Kings at the start of the season were playing well, there was, you know, conversation between uh, me, Sam, and and our buddy Ben. For, you, for anybody who listens, everybody knows who Ben is. Um, yeah, all three of us Kings fans, we were talking about how we weren't necessarily sure how we should feel about the team. And obviously we've gotten past that point where it's like, okay, they are a good team. But yep. to me, there was one number, there's one number right now that is the most important number about the Sacramento Kings. It has nothing to do with their offense. It has nothing to do with their defense. And it is their conference record. They have the second best conference record in the Western Conference, only behind Denver. Denver is 32 and 12. The Kings are 25 and 13 against the Western Conference. And yes, they have a positive record on the road. But to me, that conference record says a lot about what the Kings might be able to do in the playoffs because we were talking, Sam and I were talking about, well, Kings are going to – the only way that they're going to get past the first round, assuming that they get there, is if they get a favorable matchup. And the reason why we were talking about that was if they get a team who's just way bigger than them, they're, they're not going to win. They're a, small, they're a pretty small team. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were talking about matchups and all of that. But I looked at that conference record and I went, how, how 100% true is that? Because they've done – as good as the top team in the West against other Western conference opponents. And to me, I think the Kings, I mean, any of the matchups right now, six, seven or eight, I would feel pretty decent going into it. Um, But I think I've gotten to the point with them because of their conference record, because of their road record. I'm like, you know what? I'd feel okay about whatever matchup they go into, you know? I agree. And, you know, that's a great point and, and obviously a great title for that podcast as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, how impressive is that? Um, and, and again, it's not, not to flame Memphis here because I know they got a lot going on, but <laughs> I just think it's ironic to say, like, to make the statements that they have and then be 20 and 17 against the West. So yeah, that's that's pretty wild. But, yeah, really impressive. And, you know, previewing the rest of the Kings schedule at the all-star break and I saw, okay, Suns twice, Clippers twice. I think they play the Mavericks again once or twice. Um, and I was like, that's going to be a big test. I was a doubter at that time because I was high on the Clippers and they just beat the Clippers two weeks in a row. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, they just keep doing this and, you know, 
I'm sure at the beginning of next year, like once you have that winning season, you start to go, okay, now we expect them to beat some of the better teams. But I mean, the, the expectation this year was like, can you handle the Jazz and the, the Lakers and the Thunder and the Blazers? Like, can you handle those teams that you're supposed to beat? And, yeah. you know, Fox even did a, did an interview with Slam, him and Sabonis. Um, it might have been around Christmas time. And he just said, hey, like the goal for us was that we wanted to beat the teams that we knew we should beat. You got to beat the Charlottes. You got to be, you know, those teams that come in. It's like those are the games that Sacramento would lose in the past. Yep. They would get up for the good ones. You know, they'd, they'd knock off the Golden State, but then they'd lose to like, you know, Portland or the Spurs or something, you know, mm-hmm. and and they've handled business there. So that's the biggest thing. And I think that's why you see that conference record. And now they're pulling off historic wins, 176 <laughs> yeah. points, you know, against like a team with. I mean, the Clippers are arguably on just on paper the deepest team in the league. They need to figure out what's going on over there. There's no way they should be 500. But you know, like uh, Sacramento keeps doing it, and and they're legit too. And the the thing that 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 is cool to see with them is like those guys on that team are up next, and they know it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just been able to handle it in a more professional way. Uh, leadership from the top down versus another young team like such as a Memphis who you know those guys could very well be up next as well it's just about hey do you have uh, an overall organization that is setting you up for success and and you know what I got to give so much credit to Sacramento for that because that's been the biggest gripe that I know a lot of us have talked about over the years with them it's like they just they don't draft well or they trade away their good players or they're just not well run it's like it's it the the switch has flipped, you know. McNair said to Sabonis last year at the draft lottery. I remember the video. He's like, "This is the last year we're here." He said he says that to him as he's walking the draft lottery. And at the time, I'm sitting there skeptical as always, you know. I'm like, you know, you, you got to be kidding me. Who, who are they going to be better than? But to having that leadership there with him as GM. And then having Mike Brown come in with all the years of experience, you got to go back even to when he was with Cleveland. He was the, I believe he was the head coach for that 2007 Cavs team that LeBron somehow got to the finals. So he was there before his time with Golden State and all of that. So it's just been great to see them. And, and you bring up such a great point with their conference record. And that's a, that's a very, uh, you know, positive point that they can take into the playoffs. And, um, I mean, potentially even like make it, make it out of the first round. Yeah. I, so, and I just double checked. He was the coach of that Cavs team. Yep. Um, so good poll. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's been, <clears throat> it's been interesting because as, you know, as hardcore fans of the Kings, I, I remember, you know, Ben, Sam and I were talking at the beginning of the season. It was like, it was very weird because you didn't necessarily want to buy in and be, then disappointed. It was like, okay, well, yeah, great start, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we started to get a little bit deeper. And then we hit the all-star break and was like, okay, could we like feasibly really start thinking about this being a certainty that they're going to be in the playoffs? And then, and then now it's like, okay, like they really should be in the playoffs. Like, like they really should not be like seven or eight. They should be top six. Um, And it's just, it's a weird feeling. Um, I, uh, but it, it's, I, I'll tell you what, if they draw yeah. the Clippers in the first round, <laughs> yeah, that, that series is going to be, I mean, 
that's going to be an all-time series, I think, for uh, just in terms of how fun these if, – if the last two games are anything to sort of draw from. Um, I totally agree. And you know what? I, I believe that they can win that series, especially if they have home court. I could very well see that going six or seven. Um, mm-hmm. And also, the only thing that the Kings just got to hope is that th- yeah, they, they play their game, they continue to play fast-paced – but that Kawhi doesn't turn into Toronto Kawhi because yeah. I know you loved it. You've loved this oh, guy's yeah. whole career. And when, when he was with Toronto, I, people forget because it was such a short lived run, but there's this, there's this like, uh, you know, you get those, you see those random videos on YouTube. You don't know who the channel is or whatever, but it's just, the title's good. And there's a title on a, on a Kawhi video. It's like, uh, it, it highlights his 2019 playoff run. And the title is like when Kawhi became the best player of all time for three months. Yeah. It's true. Like he did, he was absolutely incredible in every single one of those series. Um, they had Orlando in the first round, so that's not a big deal. But what he did to Philly, obviously throughout that whole series, like even before he hit the shot, the, the big shots that he was making on the road fading away. He was drawing comparisons to MJ for crying out loud. And then mm-hmm. you got uh, him taking down Giannis when everybody thought it was his time. And then somehow, I mean, I know Golden State was dealing with injuries, but, you know, credit where it's due. And, and he goes in there and dominates that. So the thing is, though, the, the, the positive note that the Kings can take is that that game that they won last week, that 176 points that they scored, Kawhi, I think, missed – like six or seven shots the, the whole game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that Fox pointed out in the post game. It's like, Hey, you know, we're not, you're not worried about who's over there, but they still won with him, like being virtually perfect. Yeah. Um, he was making everything. And, and, you know, like when he gets in the vintage form, there's not many players today that play like him, you know, he's very good from the mid range. Uh, that's like his option one when everybody else is shooting threes and layups, he'll take it to the mid range and he can, he can post up and, and hit that shot almost automatically. So, you know, but the thing is Sacramento, they play their game, they run, they're fast, they hit threes and they're younger. It's interesting for us now, because now that we've been watching the league longer, we kind of grew up with Kawhi and PG and, you know, we remember watching them and they were the young guys. Well, they're not the young guys anymore. No. You know, it's Fox and, and Monk, you know, and those guys. And so it's interesting to watch like, oh, you know, they're actually because in my mind, I still think of them as like, oh, they're they're carrying their young prime. But like now they're probably in the middle to end of their primes while these guys are just coming up. So I just think, yeah, I know was a lot, that was a lot there that I said, but it's um, yeah, I just think it's interesting to watch the changing of the guards and the dynamic change in the West for Fox. And Fox, Fox, like, I know it's Sacramento, and they're not a big nationally known, you know, team. But, like, there's no reason that if they continue what they're doing and they make a run in, in the playoffs if they get to the second round or something like that. There's no reason why that guy shouldn't be getting just as much attention as Donovan Mitchell or, uh, or Luca. Or and maybe not Tatum level because Tatum made it to the finals and that really does do something for a player's career. It puts them on a different pedestal when you make it to the finals. But well, you should get that attention for sure. Absolutely. So I don't know if you saw this stat about Fox, and I was going to ask you about Sabonis, so I'll save that. But um, there's a stat about uh, Fox that came out today or yesterday, I should say, and it's it was uh, from 
Optus stats, so I'll give them credit. Um, says, yeah, they do a lot of good stuff. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings is the first NBA guard to score 30-plus points on 50% shooting in seven straight games since Michael Jordan had an eight-game streak from January 6th uh, to the 23rd in 1996. I mean, I, I'll continue to beat this drum until uh, until it happens, but I <laughs> – there's no way he should have been an alternate for the NBA All-Star game. I, it, it, oh. it was livid. I mean, like, we were all livid as fans. It was like, come on, people. I know. Yeah, and, and you know, I, there's another stat out there. Uh, man, he he's, like, right behind the big O in Kings history, too, for most consecutive 30-point games at this point as well. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we won't get into a huge long thing about All-Star, but there needs – I think there needs to – potentially be another one to two players added for each conference because there's too much talent now to have what do they have 12 man rosters Mm -hmm. you know and the i mean the game the game has become such a joke anyway You you might as well get as many guys in there so they can get that whatever salary bonus that they have tied to their contracts being an all-star or just so the fans can see them too. Like you might as well get them in there. So I'm a proponent of like expanding that thing a little bit more. Yeah, no, I mean, why not have like three players from each position? You know, if you wanted to break it down that way, you'd only be adding three more people. That's true. Um, it's a good point. Um, so it, yeah, Fox has been on. I So this conversation was something that we had on the show a little while ago, and it was kind of a debate between who like, the dynamic between Fox and Sabonis, like who is the most important player, who's the best player, all that stuff. And it's a good debate to have because, I mean, as a fan, it's like, oh, sweet, we can have this conversation about um, these two players and, like, it means something. So I would – I'll ask you this because Sabonis has become, like, somebody who, like, I've just completely fallen in love with. Oh, I can see why you love him. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he lead the league in rebounds? I think he does. I think he does. Yes. Um, He's, yeah, he's about an 18 and 12 type of guy. Yeah. My, so my question for you is, obviously, Jokic is number one. Mm -hmm. Embiid is number two. But is there any reason why Sabonis isn't three? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see why not to. And, like, the thing that that puts him in that conversation too is that he is he is good um, from outside the paint too. He can yeah. make the midi. Um, he's not like it's interesting because the numbers nowadays are just so gaudy and overblown that I feel like a player's true value and worth is is it can't just be determined by looking at. Uh, their numbers anymore you have to see what they're doing on the floor Mm -hmm. Um, and it may be perhaps it's always been that way but I think it's especially true now like um, quick side note right like this is something I I researched for the video I did on Fox you got you got six players in the league averaging over 30 Fox is about 25 and you just think like okay well he's not going to get the same recognition but I mean do you look at the impact that he has on the floor? Now, the same can be said for Sabonis, right? Jokic is crazy. He's a triple-double almost every night. Type of guy. <laughs> yeah. He's probably going to average that. Um, Embiid is is wild as well. I mean, he's one of those guys who's averaging above 30. So if you look at numbers alone, then, yes, Sabonis is going to get lost in the weeds there. But, you know, a number that can stand out for him, just as Fox has the clutch number that stands out for him, 
and the efficiency, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Well, Sabonis has got the rebounding number that stands out for him, and and that is that is huge because you know with rebounds you're not giving up the second chance points. You're securing more possessions for your team. Uh, it could be one and done. Like you get the stop, you get the rebound. You, he's doing the job that he's been paid to do. So, uh, and he's doing. He, the, the, if you put him on another team, yeah, maybe he could score more points. You know, like, but he's doing what what they're asking of him. And I mean, I don't see any reason why he he's not at that number three spot. Um, the only thing I'd say that he why he's not at those other guys level is that he doesn't shoot the three like Embiid and he can't pass like Jokic. So that's, that's it right there. But other than that, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like with Sabonis, um, Fox is going to be the guy that gets noticed more um, because he's the guy who takes a lot of the late shots. He's the super fast point guard and guards in general just tend to get noticed more unless you look at a Philly, and you have Harden, but everybody talks about Embiid because Embiid's the one putting up 30 and he's hitting threes as a big guy. Yeah. So you have to almost do something so spectacular as a big guy to get noticed. And I feel like that's why Sabonis probably doesn't get as enough recognition. But, I mean, hey, people people who watch the Kings and, and um, Sacramento itself, they know the value that that guy brings to a team. And that guy's always been a winner too. In Indiana, and he was an all-star there. And now he's here in, in sack doing his thing. So I think it's I think he's been great for the team. Definitely number three big man in the league for sure. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I like the point that you brought up about you can't look at stats alone because I remember having a conversation on this show when we were just a couple of weeks ago, and I was making the statement that you could make a definitive argument and an argument that you could defend that maybe, maybe the most important player on the team is actually Malik Monk. And the reason why I say that is because, and obviously what's kind of transpired over the last couple of weeks, probably that doesn't hold true anymore, but Malik Monk plays such a pivotal role on the team because he, I, I saw a comment the other day on a post about the Kings saying, it's time for Malik Monk to start. No, 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 it's not. And the reason why um, he's not starting is because without him, our bench unit doesn't have that same punch. The reason why the Kings can sustain some of their leads, the reason why their bench typically has been so efficient is because they have Malik Monk coming off the bench and leading that push for them. Yep. He has been as pivotal to the team as Fox, as Sabonis, just from a standpoint of, I mean, they're the leaders of the starting unit, but, but Malik Monk is the deep, definitive leader of the bench unit a bench unit that yes can play but he is the clear um one on that uh second unit that comes in and when him and Sabonis are on the floor together I mean there's there's they have such good chemistry um yeah I, I mean I would argue that Malik Monk has been as important to the team as literally anybody else yeah I I agree 100 percent and it's you know obviously uh can be noted when he had 45 against right. a week ago but um and, and and a side note on that guy too i forget how young he is still oh he, um, yeah he's 24 he was uh you know I, I, as i worked for max preps you know i looked back at the prospects and he was in the same class as De'Aaron fox mm-hmm. he was a 2016 guard they actually called him his nickname he played for a school in arkansas and they called him the god of dunk Malik Monk (laughs) but I was like I could see why uh 
in uh, you know the game against the Clippers, some of those some of the the dunks on the break, I was like, well, maybe he just has fresh legs coming out of All Star. But I was like, man, this guy can really get up there too. So <laughs> yeah. it was very like very impressive. But I think another reason why I may think that he's older than he is is because he's been on what three teams already: uh, Charlotte and the Lakers, and now the Kings. Yeah. But I think it's so you make such a great point. It's so big that the role in which he plays because he does lead that unit. And you know what? He very well, like free, he was a free agent, right? So yeah. free agents don't normally sign with Sacramento. I know he had that connection with Fox going back to Kentucky, but he could have very well said like, dude, you know, like I was just playing with LeBron. Like I should be starting Kevin. Like who's Kevin Herter? He looks like he's that guy in the never going to give you up video. <laughs> dude. Like- I, so <laughs> the joke, the joke that I have made for years is that every basketball team has a UPS driver. Kevin Herter is our UPS driver. Like he looks like he doesn't belong, but I mean, yeah, but, but you know what? people forget like uh, 2021, he played a big role for those Hawks. Oh, he absolutely did. By the way, I was pretty mind blown the other day when I took a second to think about how did the Hawks make the Eastern conference <laughs> yes. finals two years ago? Oh, yes. I mean, are we ever going to see that again? Like, Oh my goodness. But uh, man, that's, that's a, uh, I don't, that's a rabbit trail. I could get off there, but yeah. you know, you're, you're right about monk. You know, he, he could have had the ego and said like, dude, this ain't got, this guy ain't starting over me. And this is Sacramento for crying out loud. Y'all haven't been good forever. I'm starting. You right, know, yeah. Screw it. But obviously it was something to do with whatever Mike Brown told him or, or whatever he bought into. They, they've all bought in. The team is great because there's no egos and, and that's such a huge thing. And so, yeah, I mean, and if you're him, why not own it? I mean, there's great six men you think about. Like, I think Jamal Crawford, right, was one of the greatest uh, six men. He did start occasionally. But it's like, why not just take that role and just own it and, and be the best you can be at it? Um, yeah. And he's done that, and you're, you're right. You know, when they need a spark, he's the perfect guy to bring off the bench first. And the thing is, some games he's going to play more than Herder. Just if he's hot, he's going to keep him in there like they did with that Clippers game. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, as long as they're winning, it cures all. So, I'm sure it'd be a different story if they if they weren't good this year and he'd probably I don't know what what the case would be but hey if they're winning and he's playing that role keep him in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um well I can talk about the Kings all day long but we spent a good chunk of time on them and I do want to get to some other places in the NBA. Sure. Um so but obviously go Kings like the beam. Um <laughs> is Jokic going to win? The MVP again. Is he going to go back to back to back? That's back to back to back. First time since Larry Bird, that would be. I mean, that's a, it's another good question. You know, a couple months ago, uh, actually a month ago, after the Celtics beat the Warriors, uh, I put out a video about why that game made Tatum the MVP. I've been high on Tatum a lot for MVP um, this year, just considering, like, I know he's not going to average the triple-double like Jokic. But what he's doing, he just turned, I think he like just turned 25. Um, he, he, I believe, I'm not sure if this stat still holds up today, but the last time I checked, he's leading the league overall in points. And um, he's probably going to have the most 40-point games. I believe he's two or three away from Larry Bird. The most 40-point games in a single season in Celtics history. The Celtics obviously are a very historic franchise. I mean, you have to pass all-time greats and legends to get the type of records that he's getting. He's one of the six players averaging above 30 
and he's and so and he's the best player on arguably uh, one of the best teams in the league. Now the problem with them is is they they've been losing a little bit of late. Um, I mean they're still seven and three in their last ten. So you say okay, well what's the big deal? It's because Milwaukee is, it hasn't lost in sixteen games, um, and now they're number one. I think it's going to come down to this, and it doesn't come down to this every single year. But with so much parity this year, I think it's very clear. Whoever the best player on the team with the best record is this year, I'd give the MVP to that guy. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's Denver and they finish with the best record, I'd give it to Jokic. If it's Milwaukee, I'd give it to Giannis. If it's Boston, I'd give it to Tatum. And I, I don't think there's any clear – you can't this year and say, say like the year that Westbrook won in 16 or 16-17. Or, uh, it was like, well, he's averaging a triple-double. Nobody's really even done that. I mean, that's old news now kind of. you know, It doesn't have the same flair because it's been done so many times. Um so you can't say there's one stat or one this that is going to get guy the MVP this year with all the teams, with all the parody, I'd say, Hey, if you get your team, the best record in the league and you're the best player on the best team, I think you should get, you're worthy of them. You're worthy of that award. Now, the only problem is with Giannis is that he's missed a number of games. And so I wonder if that's going to factor in there. Um, obviously he hasn't missed as much as, as uh, Chris Middleton on his team and Drew Holiday. I mean, I think he's an all-star for a reason. I mean, he's been able to, to play great without Giannis even in the lineup, but I'd say even regardless, despite that, I'd give it to just the best player on the best team. I think that's, that's the argument this year. And um, I mean, if you have a counter, like I'll listen to it, but that's kind of what I'm at. I mean, I'm open to hear like what, what other people think, but I'm not really sure how else you decide that this year. So Malik, no, I'm kidding. Um, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So I'm looking. I think you're right. I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair assessment of um, of how it should break down. I I looked up right now. I'm looking at sort of what Vegas has listed as um, who like the odds on favorite is, and every single I looked at DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, PointsBet, all of them right now have Jokic displayed as their odds on favorite to win uh mvp um yeah but i think you're right i think a fair thing that needs to be taken into account is what the record is because all three of those teams that you had mentioned that have you know mvp candidates on them they all have 45 wins right now which is which is hilarious (laughs) um so yeah i think if you're splitting hairs then probably the team with the best record should probably have the NBA MVP on it. I think, I I think that's a fair. Yeah. I can't think of a better tiebreaker than that. Honestly. Um, I mean, there's every year, this is a, this is a debate because there's no set. There's no set like parameters. I mean, once, once they started giving it to guys on like the six seed team, then it was like, well, anybody can win this thing, you know. Yeah. It used to be more back in the day, like why I think Nash won it back to back stuff like that, because Phoenix had a really good record. Mm-hmm. They were the number one team, and that used to matter a lot more. And even last year, I remember it was brought up when Phoenix won like sixty four games or whatever they won, and it was like, why isn't Devin Booker even in this conversation? He's not even in the conversation. Nobody else had even as close to as many wins as they had, and. um it's like, well, his numbers aren't as good as Jokic or whatever. And, but this year, so many people are putting up crazy numbers that it can't just be based on numbers alone. You got to factor the wins into this thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 
Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, you can make the argument. You take any of those three guys off their teams, obviously Jokic and Tatum. The only thing is people could make a case. No, I, I know. Hear me out. You take Giannis off the Bucks for a whole season, there's no way they're as no. good. But they've been able to win some games without him this year. So yeah. I guess there's a slight maybe hole in his case. But um, those other two guys, I mean, yeah. I, you know, maybe I have a case of voter fatigue, and I would want to give it to somebody new. But well, if I had funny. a vote this year, and if, if Boston finished number one and I had a vote, I'd give it to Tatum. Because I think what he's been able to do, again, considering the, his, the historical nature of his team, considering that after they lost last year, I mean, that was a very, very deflating loss for them. The way that they lost that series being up 2-1 on the brink, literally like five minutes away from 3-1 up. And to have it just all crumble like that, but for him to bounce back the way he has this year and to get not better, but exponentially better than where he was at last year. Um, again, like he's, he's probably going to finish averaging above 30. And, 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 and if he ends up leading the league in total points scored, I mean, in a league where we've had, you know, two 71 point games this year and all these guys averaging these ridiculous numbers. I mean, if he's the one, hey, I had the most points in the entire NBA and I'm on the best team like you have a very strong case for MVP. I mean, I don't care how many triple doubles this other guy's putting up. I don't know. I don't know. But that would just be me. Maybe, like I say, like maybe it's a voter fatigue. But I think if you consider Boston, too, I mean, Boston has arguably had, if you want to factor in a story too, because I know that this plays you know, on the, the, the voters' minds. I mean, they came into the year with a lot of questions. Deflating finals lost. Coach is no longer there because whatever he was doing, that got him kicked out, basically. Um, brand, like, brand new a coach. He was an assistant last year in Missoula. But, like, they did not have – I mean, Denver had more promise, I think, going in. A lot of us predicted that Denver could likely be a one or two seed. They had Murray coming back. They had – you know, their core was like, okay, he's coming, getting healthy. They're coming back. It was a lot of positives for them. Boston, there was, a, there was a large question mark over that team. We knew they could be good because of how they finished. But, I mean, what they've been able to do is incredible. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so – Okay, so a lot of the conversation that we've had today has been about, like, you know, the parity in the NBA. We just talked about the, um, you know, the MVP candidates. And I think it is I think it is very clear that right now there are just there are so many good players in the NBA, especially a lot of younger players. It's it's ridiculous. And it is interesting because you had mentioned that, you know, when we were in high school, all we were talking about was the Cavaliers and the Warriors. And that was really it. We had that saga <laughs> for a while. True, that was it. That yeah. Was it. And then there was, you know, the Heat had their era and then the Spurs. I mean, I guess their era was a bit longer, but maybe yeah. uh, it was really those teams. So one of the questions that came up on a radio show that I was listening to the other day was if you were just starting a team like tomorrow and we're not, you can factor whatever you want into this mm-hmm. question because, you know, people kept saying, you know, LeBron is this answer, but I don't know if it's that simple. If you were starting a team, which player would you pick first? Because I think you could legitimately make a case for like six or seven different players, which is yep. crazy. Yep. Um, let me just, let me look up this age of this guy just so I have this, uh, have this sure. But this is got to be the one of the things that, makes him even more of an attractive option. Uh, I'm taking Giannis. 
I'm taking Giannis. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that Giannis is, um, his birthday is December 6th and he turned 28. So usually an athlete's prime is from maybe the early part of their prime is 25, 26 through 33, 34. Or if you're, you're LeBron, like 40. I mean, right. But, but like, uh, even with LeBron, the interesting thing is like, uh, I don't know the exact number, but he missed a certain amount of games for his first, uh, all the years that he played before he joined the Lakers and he's missed more games in the years that he's been with the Lakers than the rest of his career. So although we haven't seen a decline in his play, unfortunately for him, he has gotten uh, some injuries. So there is like, we, we say like he's defying father time, but it is, you know, has, it has affected him while he's been there. So I don't think you can take LeBron at, at this point. Um, but Giannis, the thing with him too is like he's steady, he he keeps improving every year. Um, he's adding. He, the thing is, he doesn't have the three ball like the other guys, right? But he has a a, a steady mid range shot that's improving. He's arguably the most dominant player in the league. Um, nobody can stop what he's best at, and I think dominance can just be determined like that. I mean, Shaq. We we, see, we think Shaq was dominant because nobody could stop what he was best at. Well, it's the same thing with Giannis. I mean, nobody has proven that they could stop what he has, what he is best at. And you know, I take him too uh, because he has championship experience, and I think that's so huge. Um, Perhaps if Kawhi was uh, maybe a little bit younger or had less injury history, I would take him because he's got the same experience um, with with uh, with an additional championship on top of Giannis's at this point. Um, but I, I mean, I just think that uh, maybe in a few years Tatum gets in that conversation and whatnot. And you know too how much I like Durant. You know mm-hmm. too how much I like Durant, but I would still take Giannis over him. And and there was a recent interview. Um, ESPN interview and they called it the future of the NBA and they interviewed uh, John Morant, Luca and Tatum and, and uh, Donovan Mitchell. And uh, they asked Tatum and Donovan Mitchell, who's the best player in the league. And they both said Giannis without hesitation. So he garners the respect from his peers. And the reason they said it too, he said, he's a champion and he's, and he's dominant. It's basically what they said. A championship uh, having won that it just puts you at a different level of respect among the league and it and it proves it i mean you really do prove that you can persevere all the way to the end and i regardless of who they played or whatever you know they they played teams that were injured I, at the end of the day it's a it's a championship in the record books i don't care if the season was shortened or whatever was happening you know they won it so i'd take him um i just think he's i think he is the best player in the league um, and that's why I would take him to start my team. I mean, he's averaging 31, 12, and 5. <laughs> I mean, and people don't talk about it because he does the same thing. Like, he doesn't do anything super flashy. At the beginning of his career, all the stuff that he did was like, whoa, what? This guy's crazy. Now we've just gotten used to it. And it's unfortunate because it's like we, we tend to undervalue it. We, we love these guys when they start because they wow us to start. Like, wow, he's so young doing all this stuff. Then they get into their prime. He keeps doing the same stuff and dominating. Nobody can stop him. And we kind of forget about it. And then he'll get to the end of his career and we'll be like, wow, we should probably pay attention to him again because he's about to retire. But that's, that's what happens with these guys. So, so I think that's how, what's happening with him. So then based on that argument, I would say Steph Curry is singularly unique because it's, it yep. feels like every year, 
everybody's still we're all still in awe about some of the stuff he can do so if you're going to say that then why then why do you think somebody like Steph Curry has been able to maybe not fall into that because I still feel like every year he's the most popular player everybody loves him and we're still getting wowed by all of the stuff he can do yeah well I mean what's the this is gonna sound probably pretty corny but like what's the expression it's like chicks love the long ball or whatever yeah right Chicks dig the long ball that dude that's what he's got i mean dunks are great um i love to do it when i can when i play pickup or whatever (laughs) but the long balls i mean that's the thing that wows people from all across the globe and that there's nobody who's ever been better in the history of the league than doing it than him you know kerr had a great quote Steph, I know he's been in and out of the lineup this year, but when he was back and they were playing in D.C. and the crowd there started just cheering like for crazy for Steph because he was hitting these crazy shots. Mm -hmm. They asked Kerr after the game and Kerr said he's the modern day MJ. Not in the case of comparing him to MJ's game or whatever. It had nothing to do with that. It's just in terms of popularity, in terms of um, draw and, and... views i mean i iconicness i mean it, we take it down to the sneakers like there's mm-hmm. only three guys in the history who have had their own um subsidiary brand within another major company it's been jordan with nike it's been uh wade with the chinese brand Li Ning, and it's been steph curry curry brand with under armor so he's in that conversation too so they that it plays into that convert to, to that comparison um and I can attest, like from firsthand experience too, ha- having gone to that golf event, um, uh, that uh, celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe. So Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley is the main guy for that event. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan used to be at that event at the start. And he would garner the biggest crowds, you know, when he's on the in putting green and whatever, you know. And my coworker has been with the company for years and got to see that. Saw Steph Curry, uh, you know, we saw him there this year and he said the crowds that Steph Curry gets are the exact same as Michael Jordan that he used to get. So I really, and the kids and the kids love Steph Curry. I mean, Mm -hmm. you should have seen just please sign something. I mean, it's, it was cool to see like right after they won the title, um, getting to see him like this is Steph Curry out in public after accomplishing arguably the, the most impressive feat of his career at the height of his powers was in his own words. He said in that 2022 finals that he was at. So getting to see that, I can see why that Kerr made that statement. And there's no one better to make it than Kerr because Kerr played with. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a long answer, but I think all that factors in, like there are just, there are dudes that are very special. We'll always remember. There are dudes that are the icon of their generation and Steph Curry people are going to have them on different levels on their all-time lists but something that nobody can ever take away from him is the way that he did in fact change the game and the level of his icon and status is is up there with the michael jordans and it's crazy to think even think that he could enter that conversation but to me in my opinion that is way more impactful than being maybe even you know third all-time or fourth all-time like this dude is yeah he revolutionized the game and um that I think that's why it's like, it doesn't matter how much he does it. It doesn't matter. We won't get tired of it because it's just mind blowing every single time to see the level of difficulty on his shots too. the off mm-hmm. the dribble threes. We've never seen anybody do off the dribble threes like that. Like he does. We've seen catch and shoot. Ray Allen was fantastic. Like Reggie Miller, even 
but man, like the level of difficulty on those shots he was making in the finals last year, that's the stuff that I like to nerd out about when I watch basketball. It's like you have your debates on, you know, who's better or, or this or records or points or stats. But to me, it's like, hey, you know, like, you know, having played just varsity basketball, you play. I even played varsity. You did. You know, like the level of competition and, and, and effort that that took from you even at a local level, local NorCal level, right? Yeah. Well, just imagine that amplified times whatever you want to, the amount to get to the professional level and to do what he, I mean, you just, I think that's the, that's the main thing that really gets me why I continue to be a fan of NBA basketball because it's like these, these are the top athletes in the world and that they don't get tired. Like Steph doesn't get tired. Like some guys do, Jokic, he'd be huffing and puffing. We'd be seeing him <laughs> some of these games, especially when they play the Kings. He huffing and puffing. I mean, he's still in great shape. Let's not lie. But like Curry, the fact that he can make those shots, but not only make them, but make them at the end of games when his legs are dead. That's what that. That's why he is who he is. Like so. I mean, that, I'm yeah. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at lists of like top ten of top ten greatest basketball players of all time, and I, none of the websites that I pulled up had him listed. And I think it's interesting because I think if you just stacked up resumes, that Steph easily. Uh, I mean, taking into account and like so stacking up resumes and is different to me than looking at it in totality because. Mm which is not to say that Steph doesn't have a great resume because he has, I would say, one of the best resumes you could probably put together. Um, but the fact that he changed the game, like you said, I, you can't necessarily quantify that. And I guess right. some people are going to enjoy that more than others, I guess, depending on the style of basketball that you like. But um, while we're on the topic, one of the things that we, we wanted to initially get you on immediately after LeBron had broke the scoring record, and I know that it's a couple yeah. a couple weeks old by now, but – it, it was something that we never got to talk about. So I'd like to just ask you here now, um, what were your thoughts on LeBron breaking the all time scoring record? Like he's obviously probably still going to play for at least another year, maybe two, maybe yep. three. Yep. Um, so he's going to run away with that record. Yep. Um, the great debate is always going to be, you know, is it him or Michael? And I, 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 in some sense, I think to me that debate is sort of useless. I, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. Um, but just for, I guess, a sense of asking that question, because it's a question that probably everybody sort of has. Yeah. Where do you sort of put LeBron now? So, okay. So, first of all, uh, you guys have known for, for a long time. I haven't been the biggest like fan of LeBron, right? Um, throughout uh, his career, usually because I prefer different play styles. Like I preferred, uh, you know, maybe a Durant versus LeBron or a Kobe mm -hmm. versus, and I think, but, but okay, before I go further, the record is, is unbelievable. Like yeah. you cannot take, I think it's crazy how people try to come against him by saying, well, he's played so many more games than Michael, you know, of course they try to downplay it. Like, how is that a negative? that he's been able to keep himself in world-class shape and mm -hmm. play like that, that can't be a knock on his career. You know, now, while I, what I will say though, is that you could make the argument that during the stretch of time that they played, Michael was 
potentially more dominant during the stretch of time that he played. Like there is a, there is a graphic that I've seen about, it was like in Michael in 15 years had this LeBron in this many years has this overall stats wise, LeBron is obviously going to pass him, played more games, more time. But so I think that argument could be made, but to me, that's not enough. That's something that, um, what is it? The baby boomer generation is going to make because they love Mike. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and then, and then there's going to be a generation of kids now where we're, what are we? There's millennials, there's Gen Z, and whatever they got now that are going to think LeBron because they never saw Michael Jordan play. And even us, like we, I mean, I didn't get to see Michael play live, but watching back everything, it's like, well, yeah, this dude was obviously like, you know, arguably the goat. Right. So, in my opinion. I choose to remain uh, like, I don't even know how the best way to phrase it. I've come to this conclusion. You can't pick because people are going to prefer a certain play style and it comes down to mentality. Like I'm always taking the last shot. You know, I love Jordan. He never passed. Like Jordan did pass up the last shot to Steve Kerr in the freaking finals, you know, like he did that stuff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he wasn't always this cold blooded killer all the time that never made a mistake. And I think the Jordan brand, the marketing goes yeah. a lot, plays a lot into that. I mean, I was in a store in black Friday and the sign on the wall was a Jordan sign. It said, uh, he never, uh, what was it? He never lost. He just learned. I was like, what are they trying to do with this guy? Like, <laughs> right. He's, he's he doesn't have social media. Like he's very mysterious. He's very just, he's just this icon, you know, he's Michael. He, when people think of Michael, what do they think? Oh, he's, he's never lost like LeVar ball. He never lost, you know, yeah. that's what they think of when they think of Michael. So he's been able to build that for himself. And it's this, this kind of persona, like, no, like he did lose, you know, but the six, the six, and know, oh is a thing. It's going to come down to, Hey, look, you prefer this type of play style or you prefer this, you, you, you like this era of basketball better, or you think you think it was tougher, more physical, whatever, or you like this era. I don't think, look, if they're one and two, however you want to place them, it doesn't really matter to me. My preference, I like a player more like Michael or Kobe. I like that type of player more. So I'd probably like, if I had to pick, okay, I want one player on my team at the height of their powers. I'd probably pick Michael. That that's probably a, more of a fair question to ask at the height of their powers, their prime of their career. Which one are you taking for one game? I'd probably take Michael. But on an all-time list, like we can't. Nobody's going to be able to definitively decide that because it doesn't have to do with strictly championships. Because then it'd be Bill Russell. Like it doesn't have to do yeah. with strictly points because then Michael is third or fourth, maybe fifth. I, I don't even know at this point. But like. there's so many things that go into this argument it's the unsolvable unanswerable argument that has just become the the height of barbershop talk like people are going to talk about this until the end of the age because it's never going to be determined it's it's totally based on personal preference i mean all you got to do is watch i'm you know i know you watch it watch one segment of first take when they got that magda mad dog guy on there <laughs> yes. Stephen a and jj reddick yeah you got mad dog saying it's wilt chamberlain Stephen a says it's michael jordan and jj reddick is arguing for the new era of nba mm-hmm. so what i mean that's a per, that's it that's it in a nutshell right there 
you're never going to be able to decide this. I don't think it's worth like wasting a lot of time on because it's a person's personal preference. You know, there's the group of guys that are Mike and Kobe guys. You know, I, I'd say I'd prefer that. I'm not a hundred percent in that boat because I don't want to, you know, I'm not just like a mindless, like, Oh, I always, always pick them. I prefer that type of play style, but I mean, how can you, how can you knock LeBron for what he's done? A sustained level of greatness that nobody's ever seen before. So right, uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Right. And I think the best argument that I heard during that week came from a Michael guy. Um, I don't know if you, if you listen to get up or you listen to Greeny's radio show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, Greeny's been my favorite, uh, host for god forever um and he covered michael jordan throughout pretty much his whole career um and so he's a michael guy through and through uh but one of the things that he had brought up was that one of the best well maybe it wasn't him but i think it was on his show that i heard was the was the fact that maybe when michael was in that window where he won the six championships Mm -hmm. the level of greatness that he had in that window, maybe at its peak was higher than LeBron's. But if you yep. stretched out their entire careers, then you'd have to say it was LeBron because yep. he's been able to, like you said, s- sustain yep. this level of play for so long, which obviously Michael didn't. Um, but Michael had a window where like, yep. it wasn't even kind of close. Like, yep. like he was by far in a way, <laughs> Um, yep. the best player and he was doing things that you know nobody's ever seen and maybe we had never seen since so yep. yeah it's it's an interesting too, it's an interesting timing, debate it is I, I think the last point i'll make here is like the timing in which michael jordan came into the league has a lot to do with this as well so bird it's it can be argued that bird and magic helped save the nba they helped resurrect the NBA when it was dealing with a lot of drug problems, when it was really, it was not very popular in the, in the 70s. You had your Dr. J's, you had your guys like that. But the league overall had, had a lot of problems on their hands. Those two guys really helped resurrect. And there's a great 30 for 30 three-part series on both of those Lakers and Celtics throughout the 80s. Then you get Michael and he's like, okay. He, if you want to call LeBron the, the chosen one, then he's like, okay, he's like the chosen one of that era. Um, and a lot of things they're about to release, uh, a movie with two, two of your favorite actors, Damon and Affleck, yep. they're going to do this air movie yep. and they're going to talk about how Nike. So, so Nike at that time, right. They were, they were originally blue ribbon sports. Then they went to Nike and they were just kind of known for some running shoes. They started in Beaverton, Oregon with, with the university. They're kind of a track shoe company. They don't have much of a basketball line. It was Converse at the time. They get Michael Jordan, Air Jordan, all that. He becomes like this icon. So he had two things going for him that he he kind of was at the forefront of that signature shoe, like revolution, you know. Um, some players had it before then, but he really like made it a thing. And nowadays, like, you know, it's still legit when nowadays, like we're rocking Jordans. We're not playing basketball. We're just walking around in Jordans. The yeah. dude hasn't touched a court for like 20 years almost. So I think just like that, that has, that plays in. And 
I mean, it's it's not a knock on LeBron. He just like he came in after him. He didn't have the chance to be that revolutionary cultural figure at, at the level that Michael Jordan was. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in order to be that now, you got to do something so spectacular like Steph Curry. There's right. a lot. Of, the thing is, there's not a lot that goes on nowadays that we haven't seen before, especially with social media too, because we see it all. That's why the dunk contest is so hard now. It's like <laughs> we've seen all this stuff. So in a round, big roundabout answer is like Michael's impact will live in the minds of people. The thing is, when that generation starts to, you know, the, okay, the next generation comes up, I, I really wonder, like, there's going to be a time when people say, like, oh, it's, it, it's LeBron, no question, and they don't remember they don't even know about like there will be a day of people don't even who's Michael Jordan. Like, right. Why, why is this footage all grainy? Like they won't even have any respect. And that that's when I'll be like, boy, you know, you need to, <laughs> you need to do some research, but like, oh man, I think it's, oh man, it's going to be funny for us. Cause it's going to be like, you, you don't know about like the players we watch, like Kawhi Leonard, like you don't have respect. Yeah. I don't know. I'm really interested to see, like, you know, I cover a lot of these prospects and I think that the future of the league now is bright and with the guys coming up is very bright. I think the next era, what Michael did with the cultural impact and his abilities, athleticism, his winning mentality, what LeBron did with the sustained excellence. I think what we're going to see now in this next era is a lot more of these unicorn type guys like this Wembenyama kid coming up yeah. and a lot of these guys who are, who are taking after a Kevin Durant and a Giannis and Embiid in the fact that there are no more limitations on what you can do on a basketball floor. I don't care how tall you are, big you are, long you are, whatever. This is positionless now. That's what we're going to. And Michael played in an era where it's like, dude, we throw it into the big guy. We, we kick it back. You shoot a mid-range shot. Like, you maybe shoot a three. Like, the, the, it's, the game is completely different now. That's another reason why it's so hard to compare. Because it's like, dude, I mean, I was, I was watching a, a Timberwolves and uh, Spurs was on the TV the other day. 03 or 02, Duncan and Garnett. Every possession, they throw it into the post. They do a couple dribbles back down for a hook shot. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> this is, <laughs> no wonder why the games were like 80 to 78. You know, like this is all they did. But that there's just so much, dude. Like we could go on for hours about this stuff. But like the game is just completely evolved. And I think it's cool to see because now you can watch seven foot four guys pull up from 30 feet and make threes. <laughs> like, I feel like we're, this is not even like real life. What are we watching here, man? Like even when we played, remember, there was very defined positions, you know? Yeah. Like the three ball wasn't even as popular when we were coming up. It was like, oh, if you can shoot it, we know you're one of the shooters. Nowadays, it's like everybody's hucking it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, someday if I ever get to coach, like hopefully, you know, like Lord willing, I got a kid someday and I coach, right? I'd be like, look, I don't care. Like if you can't shoot that three, you ain't shooting that three. <laughs> do what you do right. I mean, I won't play like back you down in the post basketball, but there's got to be a boundary like somewhere here. Yeah, know? like, but hey, like, it, hey, dude, you're, you're, you're six six. Everybody else is six foot. I'm sorry, but like we're gonna use you down there. <laughs> yeah, but you know that that's the thing now. If you're even if you're like a coach of youth sports, right? You gotta think about okay, um, this kid's big. My my intuition, stick him in the post, right? 
Mm-hmm. But I also want to make sure that that kid develops his handle and can, and because if the other kids outgrow him, he has that at major disadvantage later in his life. Mm-hmm. So that's the type of thing that you're thinking about now. Whereas back in the day, if you're a big kid, well, he'll always be big. We'll just try to put him in the post. Well, even those guys got to hit jumpers now. Yeah. Something. So the whole mindset like around basketball has changed and some will argue that it's not good, but I mean, Hey, it, to me, like it makes the game more entertaining. Um, but you know what? The, the final, one of the final points that I'll make here is that I think that the league, and I got to give credit to this. I saw this video. This guy on TikTok made a very good point. He's basically saying the NBA is uh, too good for itself. It's time for expansion. Mm. Uh, and it was the same type of uh, thing that happened uh, right when the ABA and the NBA merged in the late, 70s or early 80s and you had teams that were stacked and that's when the scoring averages were as crazy as they were now you know um and it was like uh you know all these teams you know the wilt days stuff like that might have been even earlier in time and it was all because because you think about it these two leagues merged and there was like 18 teams in the nba well that means you're gonna have like three to five potential like star players on each team well what's happening nowadays basically the same thing you have so much talent and i think it's the influx of international talent now that you you got to expand the league you got to spread out the talent and then you'll see the scoring averages dip a little bit maybe not because the game's fast now maybe not to like the mid thousands where it was like detroit and san antonio winning game 70 to 68 or whatever but like and, and that's not a bad thing, by the way. There still will be a lot of points, but this crazy average of like, I don't even know what, what is it, like 115 or something like that? Like that'll dip a little bit. And I think that's better for overall competition because a 30 point game now is not the same as a 30 point game when Kobe was playing in the mid 2000s. You know? Right. Kobe's 81, it to me, is better than than what we saw Lillard do as, as great as that was because Lillard had what 12 threes what did Kobe have like a couple of threes you know mm-hmm. so it's like the scoring was he made like more shots it was harder to score the basketball then so the whole expansion thing goes into hey if you add a team which you know within the next 10 years I think we could really see a team in Vegas or Seattle or something like that right you add a couple teams maybe you have you have an expansion draft maybe the talent gets spread around a little bit more so then you get even more parity, and I just think it's better for the league too because you can accommodate more players because there's a lot – I mean, there's a lot more players that could be in the league, you know? There's a lot of really good talent out there, so. No, absolutely. Um, all right, Josh, so the, uh, we're getting near the end of this. I had one more question that I wanted to ask you, um, question that um, maybe some people would be interested in hearing. Maybe not. It's something that I'd be interested to get your take on. There's been a lot that's been made about the 82-game season um, and the fact that so many people are, um, you know, appearing to load manage. Yeah. Um, my question for you is, and I'll, and I'll give you this, I had an idea a while ago um, just from the standpoint of, you know, the argument that I was making was with the NFL, like the reason why the NFL makes – is just so popular is because every game feels like it means something. And I could understand from a player's perspective, why maybe a Tuesday night game on a back-to-back 
um, against the last place team in the Western Conference maybe doesn't feel as important as getting up for, you know, the Warriors. Um, mm-hmm. So I understand that. So I think I, I one of the uh, things that I had proposed on the show was full well knowing that this would never happen <laughs> uh, <laughs> because yeah. of because of TV deals and all yeah. and, and the money. But like I had suggested, like, OK, let's say if you wanted to shorten the season, you could shorten it to. 46 games and the reason why i chose 46 was because you would play let's say the kings you'd play every western conference team twice you'd play every eastern conference team once which would get you to 42 games and then you would play the other four teams in your division again so you would play the four teams in your division three times every other western conference team twice and every eastern conference team once and you would finish with 46 games and you'd be eliminating probably any need for any sort of back-to-back and giving teams and players lots of time to rest and incentivizing every single game. Now, I, as much as I think on paper that would be really cool, um, I don't think that logistically it would probably work out just in terms of money. But yes. yep. what do you think um, about maybe shortening the NBA season? Uh, well, your idea, by the way, is not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, will never happen. No, it would definitely not. <laughs> too much money at hand. And this is, at the end of the day, this is a corporation and therefore for-profit company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have major, major TV deals, like you said. Um, all of that factors in. Um, you know, I think part of me it can see, okay, they're proposing this mid-season tournament, maybe to try to incentivize yeah. some games. But if they do that, then the tournament games matter more than the other games. Exactly. So what are you really doing with that? Okay, so that's one option. Another option is to shorten the season, but I don't even know if they could shorten the season by 10 games because of all the loss of revenue that would be there. So I think the third option is this. Teams have to just be more transparent about when they're going to rest players. This is something that I don't think is going to go away, unfortunately, um, there are some guys that will go out there, like like Anthony Edwards uh, is one of the guys who recently said, like, he's got the Michael Jordan mentality. There may be some kid, some family, uh, they don't make a ton of money. They go to one game a year, right? One game. They come mm-hmm. to play. They came to see me play. I'm going to get out there because they're the ones that are, let's face it, they're the ones that are helping to pay my bills. So I'm going to go out there and perform because that's what they came to see me do. Unfortunately, that mindset is not taken by a lot of players and especially, you know, even some of the young players, which is disheartening. It is because, come on, let's 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 play. It's your job, you Mm -hmm. know, unless you seriously you seriously can't like let's do it. Um, Okay, here's what they could do. You're not going to stop the resting, but what we can do is is strike a mandate down from the commissioner. We're not resting on road games anymore. No more resting on the road. Okay. If you're injured, now, now here's the deal. You could maybe have a workaround and say, well, he's injured, you know, but you would know. Okay. No more load management, at least on the road. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was the Warriors played at Boston. Yeah. They lost. They played like two days or a day later at, I mean, it might have been a day later, Thursday to Friday at Cleveland, and they rested everybody. Now, the fans who came to see the defending champions, the one, their one chance, by the way, to see the defending champions uh, in Cleveland, couldn't see them. 
the closest game that they could go see him in would be like a oh, almost thousand miles something drive to Memphis. Mm-hmm. That would be its closest location. Now that sucks. You can't have that. So we got to get rid of this load management. And, and I don't know what type of negotiations and stuff, because I'm sure the players association would push back against this. Yeah, for but sure. Like, but so there's so many, I mean, it's easier said than done. Like, you know, but what if we got rid of that on the road and said, Hey, you can do it at home because you got 41 home games, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, there are, in essence, 41 chances for you, the local people to come see you play at home. If a West team is going to the East, that's one chance. One chance. You cannot cheap, cheap them on that one chance, you know? Right. But for at home, you got 41. So you know what we can do at home? The beginning of the week is Sunday according to the, to the calendar, okay, through Saturday. You have to submit. you got to look at all your team's games upcoming that next week. How many say you got a homestand, right? A seven-game homestand, you got three games the next week. You have to submit on that Saturday before 11.59 p.m. We're talking like turn it in style here. We're talking like yeah. turn in a paper, okay? you got to submit before, that, before the clock hits midnight which players are going to be out for which games, load for load management. And you know what that does is it it, maybe some fans, they got Johnny a ticket for his birthday back in August for a game in January. Well, unfortunately, I mean, hopefully you got refund protection for that ticket because if players are going to rest, they're going to rest. Right. But for the fans who are considering going to the games that week and they want to buy a ticket and they want to go see Steph Curry play, or actually let's use a better example. The players who rest more often, like the Clippers. Let's use them. There's mm-hmm. a lot of load management there. <laughs> yeah. So they want to go see Kawhi or one of those guys play. Um, okay, but Saturday they submitted that, hey, Wednesday, that home game, we know it's going to be a back-to-back because the Clippers have the Thunder one night, then they got Minnesota the next night. Kawhi's going to sit out on the back-to-back. He's not going to play against Minnesota. He's going to load manage. Or he's going to have a whatever, you know, injury, I don't know, whatever calf management whatever the heck they do but you got to submit it beforehand and it only works for home games so in essence i mean that's 41 potential times and what if a player sits out like 10 well at least there's they're now they're potentially playing you know 72 games as opposed to you know i think that's that right there is probably more of a reasonable way to handle it now, I don't even know if that is going to be considered or but somebody should propose that because instead of it does it does absolutely nothing to revenue like you, and I like honestly I do like the 82 because of the historical nature of it. Right. We're compare we get to say hey, this guy had 82, he also is th- this guy who played all these years ago. They were 82. I think there's a bigger problem though, man, and and it has to do with this um you know, the technologies that we have access to nowadays and all of this training and all of this work is so much better than the athletes of the past, but yet we're seeing more injuries and injuries to young players. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with, if it has to do with an overall diet, if it has to do with these guys at a young age or not getting enough sleep. Uh, maybe in the past there really was no AAU, so they weren't playing year round. They had time to rest. I don't know if, if this generation understands rest. 
um, like they should. I mean, they should maybe take some notes from LeBron because that guy's been able to. I mean, he's like uh, partnered with this sleep app, you know, for mm-hmm. reasons. So I think there needs to be more of a instead of like the easy thing would be like, you know, let's take away games or let's do this from a fundamental level, like across the country for young athletes, we need to understand like proper disciplines, better proper rest, proper eating. Like, let's not, let's not go to McDonald's after our tournament. Like, let's not, you know, let's value our bodies. So there's a bigger overarching conversation here. Obviously the NBA has really has no control over that. But I just think, you know, why, you know, home games, that's up, you know, for potential rest because some guys will rest from time to time. I don't mind a player resting like five games out of the – I really don't mind. As long no. as they're doing it they're one time on the East Coast or, or vice versa. That sucks because I make – I work all day and make this money, you know, and I pay my hard-earned money to see you. And that would really – like, that would suck. And, you know – um, Luca, right? I, I was at the game this year for the Kings. They were playing the Kyrie and uh, the new Kyrie led Mavs, yeah. right? And Luca, oh, I was like, ah, oh, Luca's going to be out. Of course, it was a back to back, and he returned the following night. But I knew, though, that he was going to be out. I had a knowledge because I knew he was legitimately injured. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, as the consumer, I was like, I'm still knowing going into this game, he's probably not going to pay. He's probably not going to play, but I'm still going to pay for these tickets. Right. You know? So if there's more of an upfront just notification, like all I want is just some transparency. Like this whole, he's questionable two hours before the game. Like really? Like, <laughs> right. Your mental prep is starting like way before those two hours. <laughs> yes. I know you ain't questionable. You know, <laughs> it's stuff like that. That just has me shake my head, you know? So is it it's issue that's not going to go away but you at least got to try to diminish it from happening when it's fans one and only chance to see a guy Mm -hmm. so no the mental prep thing you're absolutely right and that was one of the more interesting things about playing basketball in high school was you know at at 150 you're in the middle of physics class and then at three o'clock you're playing against your crosstown rifle Uh, yeah and you know like those those uh those classes you ain't you aren't necessarily focusing because you're getting oh, ready no, for you're the not, game you know, no, no, no. <laughs> you're getting ready for the game so um, that's that's why it's ridiculous when you got a he's questionable to play two hours before a game i'm like come on yeah it's like yeah right um no but i i actually think that that solution from your i think that's probably the best solution to load management that i've that i've heard because i mean obviously i like mine but mine would never happen because of all the money that you'd lose um yeah Yeah. even 10 i mean when they had to have that shortened season a few seasons ago because they were coming off of uh the bubble and they played um i think 70 they might have played 70 games i mean that's not even going to happen so there's no way they get to 46 yeah no absolutely not Um, absolutely not but i mean yeah in a in a made-up world that's how many games they play in in my world yeah Um, yeah that's that's a good world you know there's yeah. alternate realities according to the MCU. So exactly. maybe that's happening in one of them. Exactly. Well, hopefully the MCU in the alternate realities are putting out better movies than the ones they put out recently, but I'll, I'll dive, I'll dive into that on it. You know, I was show. lost a lot during Ant-Man. So I kind of agree with that sentiment. <laughs> I know what's going on here. I know. I just, Brie and I just saw Ant-Man the other day and I was like, man, this is not old, <laughs> the old MCU anymore. You know, you know what? Okay. 
really quick. I'm sorry to the listeners to, to have to do this to you, but like, I got to talk about this really quick. Whatever. I'm going to sound like one of those good old days guys, but like whatever happened to like a very simple plot, like just give me Captain America against, against the, you know, a Hydra, like very clear. They're yeah. playing the role of the Nazis. Like, give me that. Now we're talking about like all these different universes and we got dudes that are reading minds in some realm of like, what (laughs) i don't i don't understand what's happening well and the tough thing too is that all of these storylines are coming out of like the comics and the comics have been so famous and it's uh, for people who didn't read the comics and i didn't either i have an easier time maybe like i've been so invested in um the stuff for a very long time um and movies just in general um but you know i you're right because i came out of the movie and i said sort of the same thing i was like i i I, I think I think the new when when the new Spider-Man movies come out because they're going to make more. They mm-hmm. I said I said to Brie I looked at her, I said I think they have a unique opportunity because after after Doctor Strange when and I did you see No Way Home with all the the other when you know oh, and, yeah yeah okay yeah, so great. I think that they have a unique opportunity with where they put holland as spider-man in the mcu right now because everybody everybody kind of forgot about him because of that spell that you know i mean literally they forgot about it so yeah right so what they can do now is not give spider-man a story where the world is ending they can just literally make it about peter parker and spider-man because nobody knows who he is and i think that the mcu need i think you're right i think they need that because every single one of these movies now is like good the world's gonna end it's like well Come yeah. on, like what happened to what happened to little Iron Man just in New York fighting, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a Walmart version of Iron Man and just kind of it's sticking to like one block. Um, right. Yeah. Um, like it's, we don't we don't yeah, need a beam do too much. You yeah. know, it's, and yeah. it's because they had the end game, you know, and it's like, well, everything has got to be like this level of cataclysmic potential event and that's why they feel like everything's got to like revolve around that and that's the thing like to tie back into to sports with basketball it's like well now it's like well the triple double is not even like that what it used to be so yeah you gotta have a 30 point triple double or oh well you know he's only averaging 25 so like we're not just we're just not going to pay attention to your deer and fox it's not 30 you know right it, you know, it's all this stuff where it's like everything is so just blown out of proportion because we've seen it before or whatever. And at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, you got to get back to the basics. Are they playing winning basketball? Are they helping their team? Are they, what's the, I, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the eye test is it matters. It yeah. probably matters more than any of these other statistical, like, you can tell if he's a good basketball player helping his team win by watching. That's oh, absolutely. It. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, we have reached the end of our time. Uh, haven't done an hour and a half episode in a long time. We've been sticking to an hour, but I wanted to go over because we had sort of a different episode today. And I'm glad we did. We had a lot of good conversations today. Josh, again, I appreciate you stepping in uh, for Sam. Great job. I really, like I said, I appreciate it. Sam really appreciates it. Uh, appreciates. Uh, oh my goodness you know what i mean anyway <laughs> um you know i would be the one to push it over that hour and a half mark and people probably already turned it off when i started talking about mcu so i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> well you know what uh so we talked and you know we mentioned to you about it once the playoffs kick in we'll have to I'll put, i'm putting this out in the ether right now once we hit uh before the first round of the playoffs starts 
we got to get all three of us on it and we got to do like a little playoff preview um, because I would love to have you on to sort of break down the matchups, the, what teams drew um, and sort of how each, uh, you know, each series might play out. So if you're down for that, I know Sam and I uh, would love to have you back for that. Yeah. You know, I would, uh, I would love to get on here and talk to Sam about how, Ray Allen saved LeBron's legacy. Once yes, again. <laughs> yes. Uh, re- resurrect some of those conversations. Nah, just that's 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 a joke to everybody. It's an inside joke to everybody who's listening. That's we oh. we don't we don't echo Skip Bayless's talking points on this show. Oh right. no no. <laughs> um yeah i'd love to do that yeah all right cool so let's bookmark that we'll get uh we'll make sure to have josh on uh before the playoffs start we'll get a breakdown of we'll go through each series and sort of dive into we'll maybe like maybe do a speed round of like five minutes per series we'll break down um sort of what we think is going to happen and then for those of you listening we're going to get our resident uh king's fanatic uh ben welker on uh, and we're going to just we're going to let him go full tilt on uh, the sacramento kings is that guy living at the arena man he's always there he's showing up so his apartment is in downtown sacramento and from his window he can see the beam every time it gets lit so (laughs) so you're telling me that uh well, not. I was about to say he's seen the beam uh, thirty-seven times, but not all of their wins there are at home. Nineteen times. Well, well, well actually, they've lighted every. They game. They lighted right? every game oh, on the road. Thirty-seven yeah. beams. Then, yeah. yeah. What am I saying? Thirty-seven, 37 beams. beams. Wow. He's probably one of the only people to see thirty-seven beams. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen thirty-seven beams. You seen thirty-seven beams? <laughs> Absolutely no. not. No, we no. were talking about this just to just to end this whole thing on the on the beam. We were talking about it because we were at the Denver game that went into like. That was the the crazy Denver game. You were there. You were yeah. there. Yeah, you yeah, were there. there. So we were all there. That's right. Um, and we were talking about after the game, we were like, man, this is such a dumb, like, it's just a purple light. But, like, <laughs> like it didn't take a marketing genius to like, say, like, let's just turn on a flashlight on top of the arena. But, you like, know? the whole city has rallied around it. It's amazing. It. You know what's funny, too? Like, uh one of my coworkers at Max Preps, he says, uh, you know, uh, in New York, right? Like the Knicks win or something. They light up the Empire State Building and the whole city like lights up. He goes, in Sacramento, we have a beam. He's like, we got just a beam, but everybody loves it. Yes. <laughs> That's all we knows. need. All yeah. these other cities, they're just so like, you know, they're so used to it. Ah, you know, everything's all lit up or whatever. Yeah, you know, and then here we got one beam. Everybody loves it. Yeah, it's just a purple light. <laughs> just a, it's just the Mace Windu, you know, lightsaber. Yes. That's all it is. Yes. Uh, it looks like it goes on forever, too. When you're standing underneath it, you're like, man, oh, yeah. I like it's touching the heavens. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I, hey, you know, I worked in that lighting business for a while and they've got some beams that can do that. So I, I really wonder what they've what they're packing up there. You I know? know it's the freaking bat symbol. <laughs> <laughs> So that would be kind of cool if they put a king symbol in that, though. That would be cool. I don't know if they could do, they probably could. But they had, it's, a, you know, they keep it simple. That's what we like. We just like a beam. That's it. Yes. Nothing. No logos. Like no flashing lights. No build big buildings. Just 
Just a beam. That's mm-hmm. it. I would love if they make the playoffs, like they pass out like little tiny purple flashlights before the game. And then okay. right as everybody, right as the game's about to start, they shut off all the lights in the arena. And then yeah. everybody turns on their purple flashlight for just are, little are you mini beans. To go to a playoff game or what? Oh, you know what? Ben and Sam and I have talked about it since high school. The amount of money that we're going to be willing to spend for a playoff ticket is. What? I'm curious. How much would you be willing to spend? Oh, see, okay. So I've got a brokerage account that has got plenty of. Uh... <laughs> you got the whole. <laughs> plenty, plenty. I, I, there is a number that I'd have in mind, and I, it's just one of those things where I wouldn't want, be able to do more than one. But for yeah. nosebleeds, for one, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, what if it's like a five hundred dollar ticket? Oh yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably say the same for sure. Just to see what that atmosphere would be like. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. So it's gonna be like two two seventeen row Q though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be up against the wall up there. Oh, yeah. I know what it's like up there. Yes. It's always funny to me real quick. It's funny to me when fans shout from up there because I'm like, they're not hearing you. Okay? <laughs> yeah. They don't hear you. They're no. not hearing your heckles from up here, bro. Especially <laughs> with how loud the arena is. So, yeah. So, all right. Well, Josh, again, thank you so much for stepping in today. I really do appreciate it. I know Sam does as well. And I'm going to be looking forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks when, uh, when the NBA playoffs start. Yep, man. Looking forward to it and, uh, you know, appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, for those of you who uh, stay till the end, again, I really do appreciate it. We uh, really appreciate it. Um, and have a safe weekend. Enjoy the basketball, and we will see you all uh, very shortly. So, uh, yeah, see ya. Later.